Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Welcome to Life in the Sun. Good to see you guys. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers, grandfathers. We might even add spiritual fathers. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Man, I hope that I can communicate um, the appreciation that we have for you. Maybe by illustration, I'm so thankful that I had a dad that uh, engaged and imparted to me um, everything that was important to him. Uh, My dad was in the military. He was an infantryman. Um, Part of his skill set, he's all about the outdoors, And uh, he imparted that to me. You could set me in the middle of the jungle. I'll be just fine. The other thing about him, the military is very good at training leadership in their people. And he imparted that to me too. And for that, I appreciate my dad. Some of that mentality has served me well. How many of you know life can be a jungle? Life can be tough. Being a dad can be tough. And there is an attack on the family, which includes fathers. Paul said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against people, but principalities and powers. There is a spiritual war that's going on. And that war is bigger than your individual struggles. That war is global. Let me just paint a quick picture of history. World War I and World War II. Countries all over the world mobilized men to go to war. And for those who made it back, they struggled with what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced. There was an emotional damage that took place. Today we call it PTSD. For those who made it back, they struggled to get their life back in order, to catch up with the years that were lost. Maybe it was getting an education. Maybe it was getting their career underway or getting their business underway. It became very busy, and because of what they had experienced and because of the the demands of getting back and rebuilding countries like what happened here on Guam after World War II, a lot of what was sacrificed was that time that you have in peace of quality time with your kids. And so a lot of the time was taken away from the family. And then came the industrial age, And for the first time, occupations had specialization, and there were factories, manufacturing happened all over the world, and for the first time, men began to do work outside the home. They moved away. It used to be that you worked as a family together. You had the home and the farm and the garden and the animals, and everything happened there as a unit, as a family. But now fathers were working away from home. And that added to the time that they didn't have with kids. All of that created a generation. It's almost as if they have a blank in their mind of what fatherhood looks like because they didn't have a role model at home. And then that generation created another generation under that same model, having that same gap, that same blank. And today, absent fathers is a global phenomenon. It's affected every corner of the globe. 
On top of that, there seems to be in 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 society, there is there is how should I say it? I'll, I'll give an example. That might be better. In the court system, if there is ever a case about custody for kids, oftentimes the court will favor the mom. And so that that dynamic is going on in society. Um, initially, that's a good thing. I think when kids are little, ages one to four or five or so, they need the nurture of the mom. But after they get past five or six years old, kids need a father in the home, somebody who can recognize who they are, who can see their identity, who can call them out, somebody who can help them be able to respect authority. And when that need is not met, kids have all kinds of problems. They can struggle with insecurity, and they can carry that with them into adulthood. Um, Let me just make the point this way by doing a quick survey. How many teachers do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. If you're a teacher, public or private school, or maybe even homeschool. Okay, so those hands that are up, if you were to talk to those people after the service and just ask them about the problem kids in their classroom and what they know about the home life of the problem students in the classroom, nine times out of ten, those kids who are problem kids, they don't have a man in the home. They don't have a father to help guide them in how to navigate life. Without a dad who is actively engaging, kids can grow up struggling with all kinds of unmet needs. And these unmet needs, they can influence our view of God. We have so many misconceptions about God because of unmet needs. Two of the most common misconceptions about God is that he is distant and he is uninvolved. And all of this results in major problems. Um, we, all of this results, all these problems result from the fact that we don't know who our Father is. We don't really know our Heavenly Father. We don't really know His heart. Our earthly fathers, God has given them to express His image, to express His heart, to help us get a picture, to get a glimpse, to get an image of what God's heart is like. Today, I want to share a story that reveals the nature of God. The image of God, the picture of God needs to be restored in society. If you just go out to the man on the street and take a survey and ask some insightful questions about how people perceive God, you'll see there's so many misconceptions compared to what the Bible says about who he is. And so I want to read us a story to reveal, to restore our view of God's heart. It's found in Luke chapter 15. We'll begin in verse 1. Beginning in verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. 
And a few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. and He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even, my, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you? I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do? And in all that time you never never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when, the son, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. In this story, there are two kinds of people. Remember in the beginning, remember the context, before Jesus told the story, he was talking to Pharisees. And these Pharisees had a problem with the fact that Jesus was showing favor to sinners. In today's world, we don't really relate to those labels. We don't use the word Pharisees. Uh, we don't call people sinners. We might think it, but we don't talk like that. But here's today's equivalent. There are hardworking, responsible people. And then there are irresponsible and foolish people. And in the story, the older brother represents the hardworking, responsible people. These people have a very clear sense of how the world should be. You work hard, you should be rewarded. 
And the opposite is also true. What's that verse? If a man will not work, neither let him eat. Hardworking, responsible people are tempted to look down on irresponsible and foolish people. But in this story, it's as if God says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The key to understanding this story is the truth that God's grace applies only to your relationship with God. Everything else is conditional. When I flew back to Guam, I said last week, I sure hope the pilot took a test and he passed the test. I hope he didn't receive his license as a free gift. Okay, when I go to the dentist, you know, I sure hope that he studied, you know, before he puts that needle in my mouth, I sure hope he studied the anatomy of the mouth and the nervous system, and he knows exactly where to place that needle to numb the right tooth before he starts drilling. Okay? That's just the way the rest of the world works. The problem is when we apply that thinking to our relationship with God. Jesus was judged because he showed favor to irresponsible and foolish people. And the hardworking, responsible people had a problem with that. Jesus knew their attitude. He knew their attitude was the result of an incorrect view of God. And so he told them a story. Often we know this story as the parable of the prodigal son. I think a better title is the parable of the loving father. Neither the young son nor the older son truly understood their father's heart. The younger son, he actually thought that he would be better off without his dad. And so he took his inheritance and he left. And many people do that. They say, yes, I know I've been forgiven I know I'll go to heaven. I have my inheritance, but I'm out of here for various reasons, which are quite justified in their minds. I'm sure the younger son thought he had his reasons. And then there's the older son. The older son, he never really knew his father's love had nothing to do with all of his hard work. When we don't know God's heart, we are tempted in one of two ways. We will either work really hard for God's blessing, or we will give up altogether and just quit trying. And thirdly, we can flip-flop back and forth between the two. If we quit trying, we assume our lives, if we'll be, our lives will be better if we just keep God at a safe distance. And if we work really hard, eventually we become disillusioned because our expectations are not met. People would say, Lord, you know, I've worked so hard trying to live for you. When they get to that place of disillusionment, there might be a statement like, Lord, I've worked so hard to live for you, and what do I get for it? I come home to this? Somebody else is getting favored above me? What's up with that? He doesn't even deserve it. They shouldn't be up front. I've been serving you for years. You know what? Forget it. 
forget it, I'm out. I'm out. And I can tell you from experience that this happens. People decide, I'm out. They might be present, but they're not really present, if you know what I mean. And it's all because we really don't know our Father's heart. In this story, the Father loves both sons. Our Father loves all of his children, whether they've received Christ yet or not. Paul said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are loved more than you know. You are loved more than you know. We can read about it all we want, but if there are things blocking our hearts from believing and receiving, then we need to deal with those issues first. So what are the things that would prevent us from being able to believe and to receive God's love? You ever have this thought in the back of your mind? Yeah, I believe God is all-powerful. I believe God is sovereign. He's all-present. I believe, like we sang, nothing is impossible. And I find it easy to believe that and to pray for other people, but it's hard to believe that God will do that for me. You ever find it easier to pray for somebody else or to ask for somebody else, but it's harder for yourself? We develop beliefs early in life. We can go to the next slide. We develop beliefs early in life because of our experiences. We go through difficulty like everybody else. And out of those experiences, we have certain responses and we make certain conclusions. We make certain decisions about ourselves. We can make decisions about God. We can make conclusions about life. I'll give you an example of how that can happen. Imagine Superman wakes up one morning, goes down to the breakfast table, takes a cup of coffee, forgets about his strength, puts down the cup, and bam, crashes right through the table. And the whole family is shocked. Everybody's like, whoa, the table's leaning halfway down the floor. So he gets up. He's upset that he did that. He forgot his strength. He goes over to the kitchen sink in his in his frustration, he lifts the handle to turn on the water, rips it off the faucet. Water comes gushing out. There's a fountain right there going up to the kitchen ceiling. He says, you know what? Forget it. He goes out the kitchen door, slams it shut. It goes halfway off the hinges, and he's walking out the door, and the rest of the family is sitting there in shock about what just happened. Imagine if Superman forgot his strength. In a very real way, emotionally, that's what can happen with us as men. We can forget that God has created us in a way that can make us tough. And we can say things with a tone of voice. We can have an action. We can say words. We can go around the house and walk off to the rest of our day. And the family can be in shock about what just happened. Somebody got hurt. And so imagine a child growing up in an experience like that. What kind of conclusions might they make about themselves? And if men represent God's heart, what kind of conclusions might they make about God? Or what kind of decisions might they make about life? You can be creative and think of your own. I'll give you just a few examples. They could 
say about themselves, you know, maybe God's not pleased with me and carry that belief with them in their heart. Or maybe they might perceive the world around them as not a safe place. Or they might come to the conclusion that God's not for me. He might answer prayer for other people, like I said earlier, but I don't really expect him to do that for me. Now, we don't normally talk about those beliefs because we know that expressing those kinds of things that can rumble around in the back of our minds and in the bottom of our hearts are not consistent with what they teach us in church. But these beliefs lie somewhere below the surface. We are composite, meaning our experiences and our conclusions make up who we are. Who we were at six years old is still with us. It's still a part of our being. It's a part of our makeup. It's just that we're not thinking about it all the time. One of the reasons we don't is because to think about it, if we really go there, it's painful. It's easier not to think about it. It's easier to sweep it under the rug or to ignore it or to forget about it. And so we go on with life. So that's one thing that can hinder being able to grasp God's heart and his love for us is because we can come with preconceived ideas about who God is from early in life. We can forget that they were even formed and then carry them with us into adulthood. But God is in the process of reparenting us. And he wants to help us identify what are those things that are not from him because he's all about truth. Jesus said, I came into the world to testify of the truth. He said, I am the truth. And so God is in the process of helping us identify what are those ungodly beliefs that we've acquired through an entire lifetime. And to be able to put those on the table and say, God, you show me which of these are really true and which ones aren't. And then as the Lord reveals those things that are not from him, we can identify them, recognize them, and then we can finally confess them to him and say, God, I realize I've had this idea about you or about me or about life that's inconsistent with your word, what you say about me, about yourself, about life. And Lord, I just confess that that's been in my heart all these years. Lord, I just ask you to forgive me and I bring that to the cross and I ask that you would break its power so it no longer has a place and no longer has an influence in the way I think or the way I respond. And so that's one thing that can get in the way of experiencing God's heart for us. The other is, I said to really, and and by the way, one of the reasons we don't go there is because it's painful, but you need to know that in God's kingdom, confession is the half step to freedom. Outside of God's kingdom, people don't want to go there because there's no solution. There's no resolution. There's no answer. There's no solution. But in God's kingdom, there is. And we can go there so that these things can be dealt with by the cross and brought to death, and then we can walk in the freedom of what God's word says about life, about us, about our relationship with him. But until that happens, we have developed these practiced ways, these habits, if you will, to protect ourselves. Nobody likes to get hurt, do we? And so as children, we make decisions to protect ourselves when we go through hard times. 
we might make decisions to say things like, I'll ignore the hurt, or I'll not trust others, because then I don't want to set myself up for disappointment, or I'll not need help, or I'll take care of things myself so that I'm not dependent and I don't have to be vulnerable, and then I don't have to get disappointed if the person doesn't come through. So these are just examples of common things that people say to themselves. They don't really consciously maybe articulate that, put words to it, but deep down in our heart, we, we have these beliefs, these decisions that we've made. And all of that can result in a kind of hardness. We make these decisions because we're trying to protect our hearts. It's as if we're building a wall in order not to get hurt again. And we think it's a wall of protection, but it actually becomes a wall of isolation that affects our relationships with people. And not only our relationships with people, but it also affects our relationship with God. And as long as those walls of protection are in place, we're not open and willing and ready to let God come into those places where there's hurt and there's pain so that he can bring healing and that he can bring freedom and help us to troubleshoot and see what were our responses to those difficulties. Jesus talked about this hardness that develops in life. The Pharisees came to him. They were questioning him, trying to needle him. They said, okay, answer this question. Why is it that Moses allowed people to get divorced? And so this is what Jesus said in Matthew 19. We can go there. He said, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked, and Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And then again in Ezekiel, there's actually a prophecy of how God would deal with this human condition that we all struggle with to some degree or another. In Ezekiel, the Lord says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's the vision of where God's taking us. That's what he's doing inwardly as we walk through this process called sanctification. My wife and I like to call it inner healing. Sanctification is what is the word that the Bible used to talk about the process of becoming more like Jesus. And so we have these decisions, these conclusions that we've made to protect ourselves that can get in the way of being able to experience God's love. The same heart that is able to receive love or not is the same heart that is able to give love or not. God is in the process of reparenting us, as I said earlier. He's in the process of restoring our experience with him and our view of him. And we need God to get past the walls to reveal himself to us. You know, it'd be some of these things we're not even aware are there. We don't even know what some of the decisions are that we made when we were three, four, or five years old. But the Holy Spirit can reveal those in the right time and help us identify them to bring them to the cross, to get free from them. He's in the process of reparenting us. But he's also given us a community of believers to do life with. 
as we learn this new journey in God's kingdom. We get hurt in relationships. We also get healed in relationships. It's one of the beautiful things about the small groups in our church. We have small groups that meet all over the island throughout the week. Here on Sunday morning, it's great. We're glad you're here. I believe, along with Jen, that God was at work this morning as we turned our hearts toward him in worship. But there's a whole lot more that God has for you. There's a whole lot more. Um, This is great. I wouldn't give it up for the world. I love worship. But to be honest, it's limited because we're not really engaging in relationship. You may not know the names of some of the people sitting around you. But when we get involved in a small group and we develop a small family there, we get to know each other. We get to know our histories. We get to know our hang-ups and our hurts. And we develop friendships and begin to pray for each other. And we begin to find healing. And it's through the community of believers that God begins to reparent our hearts. God is in the process of doing that. God is in the process of revealing his heart. It's through his word. It can be through worship. I think very often it's through the, the relationships that we have in small groups. Oftentimes, when we go through struggles and we respond with anxiety, we feel tension, we feel tired, it's because we really don't know the favor of God toward us. We don't know the favor that we have through Jesus. We've already been given an inheritance. We already have God's favor because we're his sons and his daughters when we receive the Holy Spirit and we're born again. But we need a personal revelation of God's heart. My prayer is that as you seek the Lord in your personal times alone with God, as you interact with the community of believers here at Life in the Sun, that God will reveal himself and his love to you. I think a beautiful example was yesterday at Greg Hildago's memorial service. We were all here. Um, Family and friends, co-workers gathered, and it was a beautiful time. Um, Greg was definitely honored, and I think people were definitely comforted through the love that was expressed. That's, That's just one example of something that happens week in, week out through all the small groups. Another illustration I'll share with you is last night, a group of us gathered over at Capriciosa. It's my daughter Nicole's 24th birthday yesterday. She's sitting in the back. (laughs) Happy birthday, Nicole. (laughs) So we're all sitting around talking. And at one point, she's opening the gifts that her friends have given her. And I am just thoroughly enjoying watching her be happy. And I am full of joy when I see her full of joy. And after that time in the evening passed, uh, Jimmy and Amber were there. And Jimmy commented, he said, you know, I could see the joy on your face as you're watching your daughter. And you know, that is an example of how God is with you, with each of you. You know, you see some kids playing, you don't even know their name or who they are. You don't really pay a lot of attention to them. But if it's your child, man, you are zeroed in. You're watching every step, whether or not they're going to trip. You're watching what they put in their hands and what they put in their mouth. And you work super hard to keep them alive. (laughs) 
And that's how your heavenly Father is with you. He loves you. You are loved more than you know. That same way that parents feel about their kids, you want goodness for them. And your heavenly Father wants his goodness for you. That's how he feels about you. And like I said, we can talk about it. We can read about it. There are good books on it. Uh, We can talk about it in small group. But we have to work through these, these beliefs that we brought with us into adulthood. We have to work through some of those issues. And so I want to share with you um, a little handout that I often give people to work through some of those issues. You know, when we really don't know that we are God's favored chosen children, we can act like orphans. We can feel, we can think as if we're orphans. And so these are, the middle column here, these are different areas that uh, we process um, in relation to how we perceive God. So this first one is, let's just say, the image of God himself. A person who doesn't know God's love will see God as master, but when we know that we're his children, we see him as our loving father. You know, I watched Noah with, um, where is he? Is Noah here? Okay, with Elmore. But Noah will come up and he'll just bury his face in his dad. He'll just put his face in his side and he'll just stay there and just absorb the love. You know, it's fun to watch him do that. You know, it's just the most natural thing. He sees Elmore as his loving father. Elmore is not some employer. Elmore is not a teacher at school. Elmore is not somebody who's telling him what to do, although he does that sometimes. (laughs) But he sees Elmore as his loving father, and he just buries his face in him. Uh, We'll do just a couple more. Theology. If we don't really know the Father's heart, we live by the love of law. But when we know the Father's heart, we live by the law of love. This one, the need for approval. If we don't know God's favor, we can strive for praise, for approval, for acceptance. But if we do know then we're totally accepted in God's love and justified by grace. I'll do one more. Uh, Self-image, way at the bottom. Uh, We can experience self-rejection by comparing ourselves with others, or we can feel positive and affirmed because we know that we have great value to God. So those are just a few examples of how we need to work through these things in order to renew our minds and renew our hearts in order to experience the fullness of God's love for us. On this Father's Day, my desire is to restore the image of God in our minds and in our hearts because as we think and as we receive, so we express and so we respond. And we can grow as fathers and as leaders in our home, at work, and in our church the more we know the heart of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you, God, that you are unrelenting in revealing your heart to us. Lord, you are fully present, fully focused, and committed to convincing us of your love. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your heartbeat. 
God, I ask that you would renew our minds. Those things that hinder, those ungodly beliefs that get in the way and prevent. Holy Spirit, would you shine light on those in your love and grace and help us not to ignore them, but to acknowledge them, to bring them into the light and to the cross where you came to destroy every ungodly thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of you. And so, Holy Spirit, even now, I trust that you are revealing, that you are speaking. And if you feel like the Lord has highlighted a particular point in your thoughts, in your heart, I want to give you a moment to do some business with God. If you recognize there's this thing that's been in the back of your mind that is not from him, I want to give you a moment just to bring that into the light, to confess it, say, Lord, I recognize it's there. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it to hinder my relationship with you. And so I bring it into the light of your presence and I bring it to the cross and I ask that there you would destroy its power, that it would have no influence, have no place in me. And so if you've identified something, go ahead and take a moment to do that just between you and God. Father, thank you for what you're showing me. Lord, more than that, I thank you that there's a way out. And I thank you that that way out is through Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And Lord, I take this thing that you have revealed and I place it there to be destroyed, to no longer have a place, to no longer have any power in my life. And Lord, I ask that you set me free through Jesus, and that you renew my mind and replace those other patterns, those other ways of thinking, those attitudes, those beliefs with truth. And now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just reveal to your sons and daughters the truth about who you are and how you feel toward your children. If you would take a moment just to listen, listen for God's heartbeat. Thank you, Father, for what you're showing. Thank you for how you're renewing and rebuilding and bringing rest and peace. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to address another group of people here in the audience today as you're listening to me talk about a relationship with God. If this is an area that has caught your attention recently, you sense God's been getting your attention. But perhaps you'd never made a formal decision to say, yes, God, I'm choosing to invite you to be a part of my life. I'm making a conscious choice to say, yes, I want to experience you. And if you've never done that before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And uh, the most important thing is to make the decision. And then express that to God, which is what we call prayer. 
And the way we'll do that is I'll pray out loud. I invite you to just pray along with me in your heart. God will hear you. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I'm here. I sense you've been getting my attention. And I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to you. I open up my life. I open up myself and I invite you to be in my life. I ask you to come in and reveal your presence to me. Father, please forgive me for the things I've done. You know what they are. I just bring them all before you in your presence and I receive your forgiveness through Jesus. I thank you for him, his sacrifice for me. And right now I receive your spirit of forgiveness and your spirit of love. If you're praying this prayer right now, by faith, just receive his spirit into your life. Let him come into you to love you and to forgive you. Lord, I thank you for coming into my life. And I ask that you would give me a new start. Show me how to live your way. Lord, it's been hard on my own. And I'm admitting I need you. And so God, would you show me uh, your way of living? I ask that you would make me the kind of person you want me to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.